Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we are talking about the phenomenon that is Save the Crew. First up, a short primer from local video creator, writer, and journalist Nils Root on how we got here and what is at stake. After that, hear from Save the Crew representative Tobias Radinger on how Save the Crew got started, how they're structured, what guides them, where we are now, their bold mission forward, analyzing where things are going from here, and I make a call for community action beyond Save the Crew. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by Little Rock Bar. Little Rock Bar is located at 944 North 4th Street in Italian Village. With 30 beers on tap, Little Rock Bar has happy hour from 4 to 7 p.m. every day. Every Tuesday, get $3 draft beers all night while you enjoy Rock Your Cock Off karaoke. Wednesdays is Everybody's a Comedian, hosted by Travis Haywisher. It's like trivia, but you prove your snark instead of smarts. Info, hours, and upcoming events at littlerockbar.net. Everyone's night should have a little rock. Enjoy the interview. Last fall, it was announced that Columbus Crew SC, which is the Major League Soccer Club here in town, was going to be moving, or at least trying to move, to Austin, Texas. Since then, a lot of things have been said by a lot of different people, and there has been a large grassroots movement to, quote, save the crew and keep them in Columbus. I experienced most of these updates as headlines in my Facebook feed that I didn't do a good job of keeping track of. So I read about it, and now I'm making this video to bring myself and anyone else who's a bit confused up to date. Real quick, I just wanna say that much of the reporting done for this video was done by Laura Newpoff of Columbus Business First, Andrew Erickson of Columbus Dispatch, and Kevin Little of Austin American Statesman. And all three of those publications have paywalls, so somebody owes me a beer. Just kidding, don't buy me a beer, but you should subscribe and support your local news outlets. All right, I think the best way to cover this whole thing is with a timeline of events. Starting at October 17th, 2017, when the owner of the crew, Anthony Precourt, released a statement saying that he's exploring the possibility of moving the club to Austin. This did not mean the team was moving for sure, but yeah, not a great sign. Precourt blamed this decision to explore his options on a lack of local support in the form of poor attendance and corporate sponsorships, and that he wasn't able to build a new stadium in downtown Columbus. All of this, the announcement itself and the pissiness about not having a stadium downtown, seemed to catch our mayor, Andy Ginther, as well as the CEO of the Columbus Partnership, Alex Fisher, off guard. I'm paraphrasing here, but Ginther and Fisher were basically like, what the f- are you talking about, Anthony? Fisher immediately pointed out that Columbus business leaders had previously offered to buy half or all of the team at an independently valued price, had rallied additional sponsorship and corporate support, and had studied how and where a downtown stadium might be built, 
all prior to this announcement from Precourt. Side note, the Columbus Partnership is a group of 65 local CEOs who get together to make important economic decisions for the region. Almost like a Midwest Illuminati, except way more boring and it actually exists. Alex Fisher leads that organization and is basically this super nice, smart, wholesome guy who we trust with a lot of important things in our community. I don't really know him, but he does come off very, not slimy, if that makes sense, which is important because he's not an elected official. And again, we trust him with a lot of important stuff. Mayor Ginther responded to Precourt's announcement by pointing out that he and the city had received little to no communication from Precourt and that he didn't even know this was coming until the announcement was made public. Precourt's announcement on the 17th did not surprise the MLS commissioner, Don Garber, who on the same day released a statement voicing his support for Precourt and cited the same talking points about the crew's stadium situation and lack of local support. As a result of this surprising announcement, crew fans freaked the f out. On October 22nd, several thousand crew fans rallied downtown at City Hall, voicing their support for the team and lack of support, to put it mildly, for Precourt's new exploration. Local leaders and celebs spoke at the event and it was basically everything you'd expect from a large group of people with a shared love for something who recently learned that they might be losing that something. Morgan Hughes organized the rally and proclaimed from the steps of City Hall, quote, if you came here for a funeral, if you came here for a wake, you're in the wrong place. This is not over. Mm. Goosebumps. So at this point, you have the announcement from Precourt to potentially probably leave Columbus for Austin, support for Precourt from MLS's top brass, the surprised reactions from Columbus leaders, and a large and growing grassroots hashtag save the crew movement started by the crew's fan base. Let's keep going. Over the next few weeks, you would see save the crew support everywhere. Bars, cars, trucks, and other MLS stadiums behind the set of college game day and even in the stands of international contests abroad. Now, if you're not familiar with the MLS schedule, it's important to point out that Precourt's announcement did not happen during the offseason. In fact, on October 26, the crew entered the league's playoffs as a fifth seed in the Eastern Conference and went on a terror. They beat Atlanta in the knockout round, New York in the conference semis, and were one goal away from making it to another MLS Cup, but lost to the eventual MLS Cup champion, Toronto FC, at the end of November. As you would imagine, the home games for these playoff contests were an insane atmosphere. Obviously, the fans were showing support for the crew, but also as a way to show Precourt and Garber and the rest of the country that Columbus is a fantastic place for an MLS club. While the crew were on that underdog playoff run, our Columbus duo from earlier in this video, Mayor Ginther and Alex Fisher, met with Precourt and Commissioner Garber in New York City on November 15th to discuss. I honestly don't know what they were supposed to talk about, but it did not go well. The statements released by the two groups after the meeting were so conflicting that it makes you wonder, which one of these guys were lying here? Ginther and Fisher said, quote, we were disappointed and frustrated. We were united in putting all options on the table with the expectation return that the MLS ownership would cease pursuing moving the team to Austin. But Precourt said, quote, we were extremely disappointed that no concrete offer or proposal was presented. Again, that's the city saying all options were on the table and Precourt saying no options were on the table. So then Ginther and Fisher sent a public letter to Precourt on November 29th saying, Actually, quote, 
As you recall, we shared three publicly owned sites for a potential new stadium in Columbus. Close quote and clap back. One of those sites presented was the Expo Center near the current stadium, which doesn't seem to be what Precourt claims to want. But the other two sites are both downtown city-owned riverfront properties. They are Burliner Park, just west of German Village, and Dodge Recreation Center, which is in Franklinton across the river from the brewery district. So does it matter whose statement was more truthful after the meeting in New York? Not really, if the goal is just to end up with the crew in Columbus, but I think it's worth pointing out that there does seem to be strikingly different levels of authenticity here. I'm saying one might infer that Precourt is being a bit disingenuous throughout this process. Side note, and speaking of disingenuous, I'm gonna jump ahead on our timeline real quick because I wanna point out that in a podcast published on January 25th, 2018, MLS Commish Garber shared that when Precourt purchased the crew from the Hunt family, the MLS allowed a special escape clause in the contract saying that Precourt couldn't move the club unless it was to Austin, Texas. Also, and maybe more significantly, Garber shared in that same podcast that Precourt wasn't even confident in the crew's long-term viability in Columbus when he bought the club. Man. All right, we've made it to December 7th and to one of the craziest, most bizarre wrinkles in this story. And that's when Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine released a statement where he draws our attention to an Ohio law that states that a sports team owner can't move a team that has received financial assistance from the public without giving the city or a private buyer the chance to purchase the team at a reasonable price. Where the hell did that come from? Okay, do you guys remember Art Modell or Art Model, as he was known in my house growing up. This Ohio law DeWine is referencing was passed in 1996 as a direct response to the baloney art model pulled moving the Cleveland Browns to Baltimore. Now, at this point, DeWine isn't filing a suit. He's just saying, I've got a law and I'm not afraid to use it. Also, I'm running for governor. Please clap. All right, now we need to turn our attention to Austin, Texas. I've never been to Austin keep it weird, hook em horns, catch me at South by Texas, but it does seem like a pretty cool place. My cousin Travis lives there and he's a super cool dude. And, and, and a really interesting thing about Austin, Texas is that this winter, Austinites began speaking out against Precourt, building a soccer stadium on the locations that Precourt desires most. According to the Columbus Dispatch, the three most viable locations for a new stadium in Austin are believed to be Butler Shores Metro Park, Roy Guerrero Park, and McCalla Place. So far, Austinites have protested the building of a new stadium on Butler Shores Metro Park, and as a result, Precourt removed that site from consideration on January 26th. That was his top pick for a place to build a new stadium. Then on February 27th, Austin Rec Department voted unanimously to have the Roy Guerrero Park removed from consideration after locals protested Precourt's interest in building there. And an 11 to nothing vote, even if it's non-binding, is no small message. The third property up for consideration is McCalla Place, but Austin City Council member Leslie Poole, who represents the district where McCalla Place is located, said she'd rather Precourt found a privately owned plot of land to build on, which he definitely would rather not do, or she said he'll have to finance the infrastructure improvements required around the McCalla Place property, which would obviously be super expensive for him to do. This is clearly not the come on down to Austin Precourt was likely expecting, 
but he's not giving up either. On March 1st, Precourt spoke publicly for the first time since October, and he reiterated his interest in moving the crew to Austin, and that both Roy Guerrero Park and McCalla Place are still being considered as potential build sites for a stadium, as well as other undisclosed private properties closer to the downtown. He also made a claim that the move will benefit Austin in various ways and to the tune of $400 million. Our final update, unless something happens while I'm editing this, comes from the OG AG Mike DeWine, who announced on March 5th that the city of Columbus and the state of Ohio are in fact teaming up to file a lawsuit against Precourt and the MLS under that Art Modell law. The lawsuit alleges that the crew has benefited from public funds in the form of parking lot improvements, property tax exemptions, below market lease rates for that property, and other infrastructure improvements around the stadium paid for or reimbursed with public funds. So here we are, we've made it to today. I don't know what will happen with that lawsuit. It's never been tested in the courts and it could very well be deemed unconstitutional, but it is a law and it will be tested now. The crew is still in Columbus and her 2018 season started on March 3rd. What kind of season will it be? Do we treat the crew like it's a friend who might move away so we squeeze every ounce of enjoyment out of them before they go? Or is it like a girlfriend broke up with us but she's staying in the apartment until the lease is up? In the longer run, and as I understand it, it looks like there are three potential outcomes here. First, Precourt and the city of Austin find a plot of land they're both happy with and the crew moves to Austin. This would mean the crew is out of Columbus by 2020 and that would be a brutal outcome for crew fans and the city of Columbus. A second option would be Precourt sells the franchise and the team stays in Columbus. This could be the result of the Art Modell law forcing Precourt's hand or Precourt realizes he's stuck between a city who loves his team but loathes him and a city who just doesn't have an ideal place for his stadium. This is also known as a rock and a hard place and Precourt decides his best option is out. Also, I didn't mention this on our timeline, but in November, James Watt, who is the co-founder and CEO of BrewDog, offered to help purchase the team and then sell at least half of the team to crew fans, which is wild to think about. Quick side note, BrewDog is like the Sam Adams of the UK and they recently made Columbus its US headquarters. A third option would be, you ready? A lot of people swallow their pride and we, Precourt, the city, the fan base, make it work in Columbus. This is a tough one to envision because it wouldn't be easy for everyone to swallow their pride, but it might be worth it because keeping the crew with an imperfect owner is undefinably better than losing the crew completely. Sitting down here with Tobias Radiger representing Save the Crew. Tobias, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. For those that aren't aware, haven't picked up a, a newspaper or followed any of this, tell us what Save the Crew is. Sure. So about uh, a little over seven months ago, uh, the current investor operator of the Columbus Crew, which is a local MLS soccer team here, um, basically threatened to move the team to Austin, Texas. Uh, kind of came out of the blue, took out everyone by surprise, and uh, immediately within 48 hours, Save the Crew was born, and it was uh, strictly a movement, grassroots, volunteer-driven, uh, to keep the team from moving. Okay. Were you affiliated at all with, like, the – obviously, you're a crew fan, you followed the crew, but yeah. the, the sort of affinity groups that were surrounding the crew before that – no, I was not. In fact, um, I found out about all of this because uh, I saw an Instagram post. Uh, okay. A friend of mine owns a co-working space called Haven, and the very first Save the Crew meeting was at their co-working space. Um, and I saw an Instagram post about it, 
uh, looked at it and said, oh, I should be involved with this, but I don't know any of these people at all. Okay. And so who was at that first meeting? Um, it was most of the people that are on the, the core leadership group uh, right now. There's about 15 to 18 of us. Okay. Um, and that's a, kind of the heads of all the committees. So it's things like outreach and you know ticket sales and fill the fray and community assist and all the things that we've been doing. There's, there's a representative from each one of those groups there. Okay. And you guys are incorporated as an LLC. While there are heads of all these individual committees, is there like a person that is in charge? How is, what, what is the structure basically? Yeah, so the the structure has been the the cause of much much speculation and debate, right? So okay. when we were first founded, there was no, you know, it had to be done in a hurry, mm-hmm. and uh, so one of the supporter groups, uh, Crew Union, uh, said, "Okay, we'll just we'll handle everything." So to date, uh, all the finances, everything has essentially been run through Crew Union uh, under the auspices of uh, Save the Crew. Okay. Um, so the, the legal structure behind it was that a little while ago, for various reasons, we did form an LLC mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, primarily formed as a just in case okay. um, thing. We've used it a little bit, but but still the, uh, the majority of our operations still run under the umbrella of, of crew union supporter group. Because while this is all happening, there are, and we'll get into it in a minute, there are legal aspects of this. Were you concerned that there sort of needed to be a third party organization in case shit hit the fan? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I don't think that we were ever concerned about being sued or anything like that. It was, it was more, you know, uh, governments really like to be able to track money and right. where it goes. And we were selling merchandise and there was a lot of, a lot of things out there. And at the time we were considering launching some of the initiatives that we're just now launching. And we were kind of looking forward to the future and thinking if this goes on for six months, a year, and we all kind of have to keep plugging away at this, uh, we're going to need a, a more defined structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was created out of necessity uh, more than desire. And not necessarily out of worry, but you just wanted to do things properly. Correct. Yeah. Got it. So who, I'm going to just phrase this as directly as I can, who is in charge? Um, (laughs) That's a good question. So there, there are about, like I said, there are about 15 to 18 of us that are, that are on there. Okay. um, On that, that core board. Um, And it's made up of people like myself. uh, So I own a small advertising agency here in town. Mm you know, probably the most public facing is Morgan Hughes. He gets out and about a lot, is on a lot of news stations. You know, there's a guy named Keith Noss who's uh, involved in a lot of the data analytics. Okay. Uh, John Zadar, who's doing a lot of the graphic design and kind of the brand management. Um, then there's several other people in kind of the marketing communication side of things. A um, uh, guy named Darby, who does a lot of the outreach. A uh, guy named Nate, who does all, all the fill the fray stuff. And so there's a lot of people that are involved and all have uh, integral roles in this. Um, so I would say that it's you know fairly democratic when, okay. when things have to be decided. We we meet. Um, we actually for seven months that group um, that group's changed a little bit over time. But for seven months, that group has been meeting once a week, every week for about two hours. I don't want to think about how many hours that actually is, but it's right. it's a lot of time. Um, and then outside of that, we're all obviously putting in more time and, and effort. But those are the people who are kind of leading main initiatives uh, and making them happen. Okay. Talk to me about the initiatives that you guys have put in place up to this point. Right. So up to this point, we've done a lot of, you know, community outreach uh, in addition to just awareness about the, the efforts. Starting several months ago, we, we noticed that a lot of what was going on uh, with the team be, 
potentially being moved was uh, there were community aspects that had just been done away with by the front office over time. And okay. um, like one of them is like Spanish outreach. Okay. Um, used to be a big thing. Games used to be kind of announced in both languages. Mm-hmm. That went away. There used to be somebody whose job was to do outreach to the Spanish community. That was done away with. Okay. So we started to look at things like that. We also started to look at some of the disadvantaged uh, ticket programs and say, you know, there are some things like this that we could do. So one of the things we started was the community assist program where for every home game so far this season, uh, we've partnered with a nonprofit and we have you know, people uh, from the community have donated their tickets. Uh, they've either bought tickets directly to donate or mm-hmm. they've donated their season tickets. Okay. And like they can't go to a game. So yeah. here's my ticket. Exactly. And we've sent, we've sent a group of, of disadvantaged people to every home game so far uh, this season. About um, how many folks each game? It varies from game to game and from nonprofit to nonprofit. Okay. Um, sometimes it's just been a few, um, but we've had as many as, I think the first the first game we had 60 go from oh, wow. Chris. Uh, we had, I know we had 41 game, we had 20 from another game. So, and then we had just like five or 10 from, from another game. So it's- And that initiative is ongoing. That's something that if a nonprofit was interested in partnering with you guys, yes. anything from a community center to I imagine it tends to be like community centers, right? Yeah, it tends to be like, you know, you know, Boys and Girls Club mm-hmm. and Chris and, and things like focused on children. Okay. Um, but this is something that we, we see going on for, you know, the duration of the of the season. And ideally, we would like this to, to then have a life of its own, you know, once, once our organization is no longer needed and okay. someone new owns the team and hopefully they just carry it forward. Okay. So we've done things like that. We also held a, a free open uh, youth clinic. We okay. partnered with the Columbus Eagles, so the the women's team here in town. Mm-hmm. They sent players. We had some you know professional uh, level coaches and and trainers come in and ran a youth clinic uh, for free. Really, really focused at those kind of community based uh, initiatives. Okay, and then there's like a business partnership aspect of it too, right? There is a business partnership. Pretty simple. We okay. went out in the community and we said, all right, Columbus, we're being told that businesses don't care about this team. Mm-hmm. And businesses sort of went, um, yes, we do. And so to date, we've signed up nearly 400 businesses who have said, we care about this team. We're interested in having them stay here. Some of them, it's as simple as just saying like, yes, we're we're signing on. And Please take our logo. On the door. Yeah, right. a sticker. Some of them have actually sponsored us financially. Okay. Um, so uh, companies like Compton Construction mm-hmm. um, have donated money. They sponsored our community kit jersey that we created, uh, Safe Light, which is you know a national yeah. brand. Uh, they also were a jersey sponsor, so we had some some money come in that way. Um, and then all that money, whether it's from merchandise or donations. Is goes directly back into kind of marketing efforts to raise awareness that this is going on and, and to try and keep the team here. Okay. And it sounds like from what you're saying, a lot of the actions that you guys are, are making are sort of filling the gaps of changes that were made in anticipation of moving the team or awareness of moving the team. Is that how sort of you're coming up? Because you're addressing, you know, the Spanish outreach aspect. You're addressing doing more outreach to community organizations and then also raising awareness of the situation. Because you guys are not the ones suing pre-court ventures. No, you're not, not at the all. ones. You don't imagine that you'll be raising the money. Save the crew is not going to buy the crew. No, dear God, no. Okay. Is that how you're sort of framing, like, what are the things 
we need to be doing? I think the way that we're framing it what's is... Your gui- what's guiding you? Yeah. So I think, I think that we look at this and we say, all right, if we were, if we were running the front office and we were looking at all the opportunities there were to talk about this team and mm-hmm. to uh, bring awareness and also to, you know, look, we're from the Midwest. And I think that there's a, there's a sense of like doing good in your community. Right. So if we were running this, what would we do? And, and some of that's the outreach, some of that's awareness, some of that's just straight up marketing and advertising. You know, it's, it's taking out ads saying, hey, we haven't seen ads for the, for the team. We haven't seen ads for the game. So we're going to play some. Okay. Um, and so it's yeah, it's filling gaps where we where we see things missing. Line up for me what the arguments that Precourt Ventures has made for moving the team. Oh my goodness, they're they are because it's because varied, uh, ever shifting and ridiculous. Well, but your initiatives are trying to address them, right? Initially, they were yeah. Okay. So the the very first few things that we rolled out were in direct opposition to those initiative or to those claims. And so, tell me about those claims as you yeah. know them. So the the first thing that that really happened was um, you know, pre-court sports ventures and MLS and all all those kind of the variety of organizations involved came out and said, "There's no fan support here." Well. That looks a really bad from a PR standpoint to start blaming your fans. That's sort of like saying, I make a potato chip. No one's eating my potato chip. It's everyone's fault. Like, I don't need to address my product. I don't need to address the people marketing it. Okay. Like, it's, it's the fan's fault. Okay. And so they just got blazed in the media. There was a lot of, lot of issues with that. So they very quickly changed their story and said, well, actually, the problem is the business community here sucks. Uh, no one supports us. We try and raise money. So then, you know, in the news, partnership comes out and says, well, you know that Acura sponsorship you just got? Well, we made that happen for you. We sat right. down with you and we, we did all this. And other businesses came forward and said, no, we've been you know, we've been doing this on an ongoing basis. In fact, you know, we raise our thing every year or every couple of years. And so that got debunked. And so the, the, the narrative that they spin keeps trying to change. And then it shifted to, well, you know, the, the real problem is the stadium's old, it's outdated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be replaced. The place is a dump. It needs to be downtown. And on record are people like, you know, the commissioner of MLS, six, eight, 12 months before talking about how, Moffrey Stadium was like a shining jewel in the spirit of, you know, American soccer. Right. And so, you know, the, the story has shifted to suit the uh, the narrative of we want to move versus it being based in any kind of reality. Why do you think they would do that rather than just move? That the argument becomes we can't possibly stay here because the fan base, because of the business community not supporting us rather than just moving. Because they have to get the support of some other municipality because they want to be basically let out of it. Well, I think there's a uh, I'm not an expert on all of this, but I think there's a couple there's a couple pieces going on. First, I think that this news got announced before they were ready to announce it. So that's one piece. The second piece is I think that the current investor operator wants to be in Austin for some inexplicable reason. Okay. Uh, he just really apparently loves it there. Maybe South by Southwest is that awesome. Uh, but it only Austin's happens. a great place, but yeah, yeah, I mean, no, no doubt, but I think that, that there's an affinity there for that location. So that's, that's a part of it. And there's a, the theory is, is that he bought it with the intention of moving it. That is what it appears. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult, I think to make a, 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 a different argument. 
Okay. Uh, that, that maybe that wasn't the case and he tried in good faith. It just doesn't look that way. And I mean, it, maybe that's, you know, I, I could be wrong, but, right. you know, all the signs point to, you know, sort of, you know, uh, cracking open the piggy bank and stealing as much as possible before you cart it off. Got it. And at this point, Major League Soccer is supportive of sort of whatever Precourt Ventures wants to do with the team. It seems it appears that way. Yes. I mean, they're, you know, the, the suit that the city and state of Ohio have filed uh, name both of them kind of in a, in a co manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, I think, is because people don't truly understand how MLS works. OK, uh, MLS is a single entity structure, which means that owners don't actually own the team. They invest in that team. OK, every team in MLS is actually owned by Major League Soccer. OK, and. So if you wanted to to own the Columbus Crew, you wouldn't actually be an owner. You would essentially give them a certain amount of money to have shares and the right to operate that team. Okay. So I would be basically a co-owner with the MLS. Yes. Are there other leagues that are structured that way? Um, I mean, it's a very franchise-based model, right? Okay. I mean, it's, I'm not as aware of kind of the other legal structures of all the other sports uh, ventures, but, but I mean, that's essentially what it means. So... Um, one of the reasons that, you know, they're all named in this suit uh, and the reason that MLS is backing this to a, to a degree is uh, in some ways they almost have to. Right? Okay. They're, they're, they're a little stuck in the fact that an operator of one of their teams says, I want to do this thing. They've given him great latitude to operate the team. Mm-hmm. And now they're kind of in a position where if they back off of that too quickly, you know. Well, it's their what, prerogative to keep their investor happy. Right. And um, what other investor operator is then going to come to them and say, well, I also want that option. Right. Why, why did you just capitulate to this town? Right. And so right now the lawsuit is sort of demanding the opportunity for a third party to come in and purchase pre-court venture stake. Yeah, so, sort of. The Art Modell law, kind of as it's known, right, essentially states that you know a team is is required a team that takes uh, taxpayer money, mm-hmm. and this is in direct result of the Browns kind of absconding in the middle of the night, right? Um, that 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 team has to give a notice to the municipality or the state or the organization. To the, that they're in whatever entity they took tax dollars from yeah they have to give right. them appropriate notice and um that as opposed to just leaving they have to give a local interest the ability to bid on it okay so it's not forcing a sale it is you know there's been a lot of talk about well isn't this breaking commerce laws it doesn't state that you must take that it simply says you must entertain okay. those like so it's legitimate not, offers it's not eminent domain correct but they have to entertain legitimate offers. And so there's also an aspect of this of, and I've only surface aware of it, that it's been demanded, hey, you gotta show us your books. Correct. In order to let a third party buyer audit them, figure out like where everything is in order to determine a fair price. Right, because it's like it's like buying anything unless you know what it's the value is, how can you make an, an appropriate offer? Right. Um, and so to date, a lot of offers have been kind of dismissed, you know, out of hand saying, well, that's not enough money. And so the, you know, part of this is saying, well, have you, formal offers been made at this point? I guess I don't know that for sure. Okay. Uh, what I do know is that you know, Mayor Genther and Alex Fisher, the Columbus Partnership, have said that there are interested buyers okay. um, that are out there. Um, and that they are very, very interested in, in making a, making a deal. Um, but we do, we also do know that, you know, back when the crew was first sold, um, there were a couple offers that were made that MLS basically came out and said, well, oh, those were just too low. 
okay. there was no rationale as to why. And so I think that's part of part of this right now is just how do you value something if the books are closed and everything is kind of owned in uh, by this one organization? Right. Well, and let's say they end up opening up their books either through court order or by their own choice. What does entertaining an offer mean? Like if they, if, you know, if somebody comes in at 25% above market and they still say no, right? how do you settle that matter? Well, that's, that's where... And that's it, because this lawsuit, yeah. or excuse me, this law hasn't actually been, this is the test of it, right? Yeah, this law has never been tested and there's not another one on the books in the U.S. that anyone's aware of. Really? So uh, no one's ever tried a law like this. No one knows if this works. No one knows if this is constitutional. There's a lot of issues at play here. And I think that, you know, one of the, uh, everyone that I know who's kind of on the legal side, you start talking to them about this and they light up. They're like, this is so exciting. And it's like, interesting, right? Like, yeah. I, I I don't understand half the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I'm just going to believe that this is as interesting as, as you say it is. But no, I think I think that there are a bunch of parts of this that are all intertwined, and that's what makes this so complex, right? So you asked about kind of what what makes a legitimate offer, mm-hmm. and the the challenge with that is a with without the books you don't know, um, but b you know, if you're on the other side, you could simply say, well, to me, a legitimate offer is like a thousand percent above market. You know, what, you know, how do, how do you determine that? So one of the things that happened within the, the court order was uh, the uh, some pieces of language. And this is, again, I'm not a lawyer, so this is as best as I understand it. Got it. But one of the things that the judge said is that both sides within the lawsuit need to come together and they need to have an agreement on what a bona fide buyer looks like. Okay. And that if they won't do that, the court will decide. And so the other side is the state and the city. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the judge is essentially saying, like, you guys need to come together. You need to agree on what a, a fair and reasonable offer looks like. And if you can't agree to that. I'm going to cut the I'm, baby in half for you. I'm going to yeah play <laughs> Solomon, right? Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So how do you guys fit into the larger ecosystem of the actions that the state's making. I'm thinking more about the actions and the statements that Mayor Ginther is making along with Alex Fisher at the partnership. Are those folks talking to you guys? Um, not really. I mean, we, we mostly, you're, you're we mostly do a separate we, entity. Yeah, we do okay. what we do. They do what they do. Typically we actually know what's happening when like something hits the news. Okay. Right. So we'll, we'll see something, you know, a statement from Alex Fisher come out and we're like, Oh, okay, well we, we should jump on this really fast, but yeah, right. we're a completely separate separate entity a couple of friends of mine are involved so i see them espousing isn't it great that you know this sportscaster was wearing a save the crew scarf or seeing banners in other cities yes what do you attribute that sort of success and awareness to in the larger ecosystem i feel like this means something bigger than just the crew i would agree with that okay Um, and i think that the part of this is soccer culture Okay. Um, you know, people feel people, just this inherent ownership yeah, over their team. Yeah, you feel very much like this is a club, not a franchise. Like you feel like the identity of this organization is tied to your city. And it, you know, when the when the rebrand of the crew happened, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mayor Coleman at the time actually got up and I'm going to paraphrase this probably very poorly, but he essentially said like, you know, the identity and destiny of the Columbus Crew and that of our city are like uniquely tied together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, speaks very, very much at the heart of, of how soccer fans in general feel. Um, you know, a lot of clubs in, in Europe 
you know, they have a 150 year history. Right. And so, you know, here we are with this, with this team with, you know, 23 year history and someone's basically like, I just don't like the city anymore. I'm going to leave. And well, it should be noted. It was one of the first, it was major, the first right. one in, in major league soccer. And so then everyone says, wait a second, you simply don't like it here anymore. Why don't you leave and just leave this, like sell it. Right. You know, you can get another sports ball team, um, you know, but you know, you don't just steal culture away. Right. Um, and especially since the, the league, uh, over time, like their marketing slogans have been like club and city together. Right. Like there is a scarf banner hanging on the outside of the stadium right now that says for Columbus. Right. So, you know, you essentially, your all of your marketing push is about, this is about community. This is about family. This is about belonging to the city. And then you're like, oh, just kidding. We don't actually mean any of that. Right. So I think that that part of it has had a larger tie into the global community. It also means that, you know, people in Europe or people in South America, uh, when they look at this, they were like, no one would ever dare to try and move our team. Or right. if they did, people would revolt. They'd be burning things in the streets. And so that makes it very easy for them to latch onto this. So we've gotten, you know, coverage in several magazines in the UK about right. this just because of that, you know, people don't understand how this could even be real. Well, and from the editorial side of it, I haven't seen anybody write anything that was basically like, I don't know why these guys are so up in arms about it. And it's been interesting from a business side of it too, right? Why would the MLS support the stakeholder in moving the team without sort of that public support, especially given their unique structure, that it's not just theirs. Right, right, right. Well, and especially since there there is no official support in the city where he wants to move. Like, there is right. no stadium deal. There is no... Uh, they're exploring it. Yeah. They're, but they've even stepped away from previous proposals. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Talk me through what you guys are doing during this 90-day window of discovery and negotiation to raise the profile of both the cause and of your organization. And I think an important part of that toll was the court saying, we're pausing this litigation because you guys need to work it out. Right. And so what we saw as an organization was an opportunity to immediately raise a flag and say, all right, if if the court is saying, you know, uh, hey, guys, uh, time out. Let's all take a break. Get in a room together. Work work this out. We think there's an opportunity right now for us to make a big impact uh, with a with new ownership group. Okay. Um, and really, you know, we've done a lot already. To Has that been part of the goal all along to sort of show this statement that there's no fan support is not true. This statement that there's no business support is not true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, we absolutely know that all this support exists here. It just has to be framed, marketed and advertised correctly. Right. And done appropriately. Uh, we've seen a, a huge outpouring of support, uh, both globally and in our local community. So one of the things that we did when, when we were looking at this and said, I'll back up for a second, and just say that a lot, all the ideas that we get come from not only our, our immediate leadership group, but the hundreds of people that serve as volunteers right. and support. Um, and we literally have several hundred people in our various communication channels that are all involved in different committees and going out in the community. Um, so we hear from them. We also hear from all the people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram saying, oh, what about this idea? And maybe we should do this thing. And It's how the, like, the community kit got going. Exactly. That's right. exactly how that happened. Um, and it's... 
it's really surfaced some some interesting things. It's also brought some things to light that our small group wouldn't have thought of. And it's like, sweet, we'll just that's a brilliant idea. Like, of course we'll do May that. We, we can get behind right. it. Right. Um, and the weird thing is a lot of times people actually ask us permission. Like we are in charge of things and it's sort of like, no, we're just, we're driving the, the train and right. You know, we'll make, we'll make whatever happen possible. So out of that, one of the ideas that surfaced and it surfaced from five or six different places, um, both inside and outside of kind of the, the core group was this idea that, uh, we should start to take pledges for, 2019 pending new ownership because we know, I mean, you look at attendance, people don't want to give their money uh, to someone who's actively fighting litigation to leave. Right. It just kind of makes sense. Um, Because currently it's possible that this is the last season. It is. That is technically possible though. Not true. Uh, Okay. Just, I'm just going to go. I'm going to be very, very bold and say that, that that won't, you know, technically you're right. I mean, this could be the last season, but, um, I think they're not going to make a team dormant for a year while a stadium is being built, while everything's being finalized in Austin. Right. Got it. And I also feel, I also feel very strongly that the case that we've made is strong enough that they aren't going anywhere. Okay. Um, that's a bold statement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I will go on record and I've done it before. I mean, I, I think that that's that's our position is that this team isn't going anywhere that that this is very very winnable and, and and so your continued mission is to simply make it quote unquote easier for the future ownership group. Absolutely it is. Okay. And yeah. so again, you're currently at least in virtual form collecting pledges for folks to buy tickets. Yes. Okay. Uh, so what we launched is this uh multifaceted campaign called Project 2019. The first step of it is the pledge and the pledge is simply, uh, it's non-binding. Uh, there's no cost to do it. It's you know name, email address, phone number, and the number of season tickets you would buy if the team stays and has a new owner, okay. a locally based owner. Um, and from Save the Crew's perspective, what we've said is, you know, we will not release names, email addresses, phone numbers, any personal contact details except to a new owner. That was going to be my follow-up. Yeah. You're literally willing to hand over, like, here's a ticket buyer database. Absolutely. Go for it. Which is previously the current ticket buyer database is an asset that would be turned over anyway. But... Right. Yeah. However, what we've seen, uh, so within the first 48 hours of us launching this, we had 5,000 tickets pledged, season tickets pledged. Wow. And if you think about the initial drive... Uh, took took months and months and months and was aimed at 10,000. And this was years ago. But, you know, we essentially within 48 hours got half of that. Okay. Um, and that's, that's, that's a pretty powerful statement. And we were not just getting people. We were getting people that said, I've never had season tickets before, but I will do this. We had people say, I've never been to a professional soccer game before, but I'm in for two. Okay. We had a guy say, I don't live in the U.S. right now. I used to live in Columbus. I will buy a season ticket pack and I will donate every game to a charity. Okay. So we're not simply getting people that are on their current database and are there every game. We're getting a groundswell of people saying it's wrong for this to move and I will back an initiative that will keep the team there and I will put my money behind it. And not to sort of put down the idea of that, but it is essentially a petition that you're getting people to sign. I mean, there's no real skin in the game, but... I mean, the skin is the contact information is going to be turned over to a new owner. And I, I guess I do believe that that's something that's the barrier of entry that like these people are legit. 
Right. And I mean, we, we understand that even, even if everyone on there is completely legit, mm-hmm. uh, which there's probably some people, you know, who knows? Actually, we know for sure that there are some that are not because uh, there was a slew of, of petitions or uh, signatures that came in from uh, the Austin DMA that were blatantly false and they were attempting to screw our skew our results pretty heavily. Okay. Um, which was both hilarious and... Uh, Gosh, why would someone do that? Um, yeah, I don't know. And this is b- simply Super based strange. on IP addresses that you're seeing come through, right? Uh, IP That's ad- how you know. Yeah, we have a we have a pretty good team of uh, people on the back end doing data analytics and, and some other stuff, and, mm-hmm. and they were able to very easily tell where these were coming from. Okay. Um, zip code, location-based IP, some yeah. other fun, fancy stuff that they're doing that I don't quite understand. And so those, you know, we basically sloughed those off because it was pretty easy to tell which ones were you know, false. Right. Um, so even assuming that every, everything that we're counting is valid is valid. Look, life changes, right? I mean, you're, you're going to get six months down the road, a year down the road and a new ownership group is going to come in and say, all right, we're ready to, to start rolling this out. And there are going to be people that says, you know, I lost my job. I had a big life change and aren't going to be able to do it. I moved. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, will this be a hundred percent? No. Are there also going to be people that are going to say, you know what? I'm even more excited now. And I said two, and I'm going to do six. Okay. And so we know that over time, this is going to shift a little bit and what people pledge is, isn't going to be absolutely accurate, but it allows a new ownership group to hit the ground running. Right. So we're essentially like kicking them off into a sprint versus you're saying, creating a concrete asset for them is what you're absolutely. doing. Yeah. And this is just step one. So uh, next week we're launching kind of phase two of this and then several more weeks we're launching kind of phase three okay. of what project 2019 is going to be. Um, Can you talk us through at least phase two? I know that you guys are sort of guarded about what's coming out because you want to be not stopped. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's about kind of also putting things out at the right time and making sure that we're ready to handle them. We are, we are a group of well, volunteers. Well, and to have the maximum impact as yeah. well. And yeah. And we're also a group of volunteers who are doing this in our nights and weekends. So you don't um, want to over promise not to get, yeah, over promise and under deliver. Um, phase two for us is broadening our organization's direct commitment to a future owner operator of the Columbus crew. Okay. And we have made an immense impact within the community. We have a huge following on social media. Um, you know, we've got broadcasters wearing our gear on live television. We've right. got people national broadcast, national broadcasts. Yeah. We've seen our, our signs and our banners, um, at clubs internationally. So we have a broad and deep reach within, you know, not only our local community, but globally. Um, and so our commitment to the new local investor operator is going to be our organization will get behind you and we will put everything at our disposal into that basket. Okay. And we're going to go all in on taking everything that we've learned and all of our resources and all of our kind of social media capital and all of our community goodwill. And we're going to push behind you as hard as possible to make sure that this is a team that is viable over the long term, both right. on and off the field. Well, because what's interesting in this whole thing, and we've sort of gleaned over it, is part of what Precourt Ventures did by saying there's no fan support, there's no business support, our stadium is a piece of shit, is they were devaluing the team in order to move it. Yes. And so now the lawsuit is actually 
this is a legal perspective I didn't think about before. It's super interesting because what does a legitimate offer mean once you've devalued it? You know, it's like taking a baseball bat to your car and then trying to get trade in on it. Right. Just because you want a new car. Well, and almost quite literally because uh, people have been tweeting uh, pictures of the bathrooms where handles are broken and there are puddles on the floor and people at Rock on the Range uh, this past weekend talking about uh, how in one of the the suites there are basically water stains and brown water dripping from the ceiling and, you know, people posting pictures of the the lights at the stadium where just, you know, dozens of bulbs are out and not replaced. Because it's just not being taken care of. Because it's not being taken care of and, and not being valued right you're sort of beating me to the punch and sort of what happens when you win and it is that i imagine this organization will stick around to an extent but basically your new goal is to generate assets intangible for the most part names and email addresses and phone numbers of people fairly tangible that's a tangible asset Yeah. yeah to generate that in order to hand over to the new potential owner is that fair for the most part, yeah, I would say that, you know, our our goal is to be done with this and to dissolve this thing as, as quickly as possible, to hand it over to someone who's competent and uh, eager and interested. Right. Um, you know, we're going to stick around long enough to make sure that they're, you know, successful and, and have all the tools that, that we can possibly provide them. But And you'll accept a big thank you as oh, well. well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> But at the end of the day, you know, we're volunteers, we're fans. This is a grassroots thing. Right. We want nothing more than to be able to go out and cheer for our favorite players and scream about goals and yell at the refs about a red card that should have had. Like, that's what we want to do. Right. And instead, we've been focusing all of our time and energy, not about player trades and all those other things, but about, dear God, can we keep this team here? Right. And I asked sort of how you're involved in the greater ecosystem. Are you communicating this plan with, let's call them the powers that be, or are you simply communicating it through the media? Uh, we're simply doing it through the media. So, okay. So our, again, we're... It's interesting from like a third party perspective. There were some very public proposals made at, at one point that very quickly everybody was like, mm, this wasn't vetted. Like yeah. this didn't... Nobody knew you were even thinking about this. And so it's interesting sort of to hear that indeed there is not a whole lot of coordination, at least with you guys and certainly the lawsuit and certainly with, you know, pre-court ventures hasn't sat you down and said, how can we help? Right. And I think um, to that last point specifically, so we published, uh, we didn't publish, we we sent uh, Mr. Pre-court a letter. Okay. And we said uh, very, very early on in this process, and we said, look, we understand that, you know, this might have been a desire, but we, we're we willing to sit down with you and we're willing to show you exactly how this can work. And we believe that it can. Never heard back. To no avail. Um, we have published an open letter. Uh, we published a letter with, I think we gathered like 15,000 signatures in a, in a very short period of time that we sent uh, to MLS. Um and published it publicly on our website saying that the crew should stay here. Um, we also sent an open letter to Commissioner Garber, 
saying we are interested and we're invested and we're going to put our strength behind this mm -hmm. never heard back okay so we have made kind of some of those uh direct appeals to to some of the people that could could change this um or sway this and whether they're not interested or they have other goals or whatever you know they're busy people let's yeah. be honest they're uh they got other things on their plate like well, opening new stadiums and whatever <laughs> well but the th interesting thing to me is that you're certainly not being ignored again national broadcasters wearing save the crew scarf the rallies in front of city hall the news coverage that you guys have been able to garner is fantastic it's interesting to me that and admirable to me that you guys still push on even though you're not receiving tangible feedback yeah and i think we haven't received tangible feedback from sort of the those players right but what we have received tangible feedback in or from are all of the you know, thousands and thousands of people who have thanked us on social media or sent us notes or said, you know, I'm with you from Sweden and held up a banner or, you know, the, the person who posted their community kit on the Great Wall of China. <laughs> and, you know, we've seen this outpouring of, of support and love for this team all over the place. And so in some ways that has been what has kept the fires burning and kept us pushing on. You know, when I got involved with this, I certainly didn't think that I'd be sitting here seven months later uh, talking about this. Right. Um, I kind of figured, yeah, we're going to try. This might, yeah, we're going to give it the old, old college try, but it, it might be over really fast. Right. Um, and in fact, the first few months of this, there were several initiatives that we simply didn't pursue because we actually legitimately wondered you know, not necessarily saying the team was going to leave, but the team could have, could have also stayed within a week. Right. And so it was like, well, how big Why would a we thing do we an initiative like kick this? off this thing that's going to be a three-month initiative if they're going to either stay or be gone within a week? That's um, it. So you're saying that the lawsuit has almost given you guys permission to say, okay, we know we've got this amount of time now. A little bit, but I think the the we were also coming to this point regardless okay um, because this had now gone on for six and a half months and it was pretty clear that it was not going to be resolved anytime soon whether the lawsuit happened or not it was not going to be resolved quickly right um, and so for us these initiatives project 2019 and some of the things that we're doing with the pledge weren't as much about we timed it with the the pause in the lawsuit because it made sense mm -hmm. but we would have been launching that anyway okay um we would have just found some other gap some other little place to put it um but it was it was imminent yeah it's interesting to me this model that you guys have created i jokingly when i was sort of probing to see like who's the person to talk to like it's fine if it's a pr person but i'd really like to talk to the leader and every time I ask the question, it's like, well, we don't have one. It's, you know, yeah. we, it, this, this is truly decentralized. And I was like, is this fight club? Like, is that <laughs> what, you know, the first rule is that we can talk about it. The second rule is, is don't tell anybody what's going on back here. It's interesting to me is what I hope at least that it's a model that is able to be transferred over to other things that are important. You know, I think specifically about the um, the Celebrate One initiative that the city is doing right. and income and segregation issues and housing issues and, and all that stuff. And I, I hope that you guys are able to create a resource that is for the larger community in addition to this private entity. That was my soapbox.
Yeah, basically. no. I mean, that's a that's that is a weighty uh, weighty soapbox, uh, and I think one that we've not really considered too much. Um, we sort of fell into operating this way yeah. Um, because there were so many vested parties and there were so many people so passionate about this that, um, and everyone kind of gravitated to what they were good at. Right? right. So my background is marketing and advertising. So that's what I do a lot of. And I work on ad campaigns and I work on messaging and I work on strategy and I work on all of those kind of pieces of it. Right. And then there are other people that are just really, really good community organizers. So they do that. Right. And I don't have a lot to say to them because they know what they're doing and they're really good at it. So I guess my invitation would be sort of a postmortem where you guys sort of tell that story of how, you know, how you did it. I think that is a, that is a fantastic idea. And I think that we would all be on board with that. Good. Tobias, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite soccer fan. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.